stand for an hour beside one of your filling stations. Talk to the people who come in to buy gas. Discover for yourself what magic a dollar's worth of gasoline a week has worked in their lives. My friends, it is the juice of the fountain of eternal youth that you are selling. It is health. It is comfort. It is success. And you have sold merely a bad-smelling liquid that's so many cents per gallon. You must put yourself in the place of the men and women in whose lives your gasoline has worked miracles. Alrighty, so this is Fusebox number 220, World Funnel, and you have done enough damage for one day. Yeah, so uh, relax by the shore there and... Enjoy our mutant seaweed. <laughs> Hello, friends. And uh, welcome in once again to this, the 220th edition of Fusebox, actively entitled World Funnel. And, uh, I'm your relaxed as possible while sliding down razor wire host, Mark Rose, and over there, awash in the glow of LEDs and monochrome monitors, is uh, the Emperor of Amplitude, Milt Keynes, everybody. Well, thank you kindly. So, world funnel, huh? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, uh, mainly because uh, we're going to go all over the globe on this one. Uh, there are some recent news developments and uh, ecological curiosities abounding. Abounding, I say. Roger that. I, uh, you know, I also want to pay tribute to that, uh, <laughs> that quote up there, the front of the pre-roll. Uh, that was an actual statement made by then industrialist, uh, ad guy and all-around business guru, Bruce Barton. And uh, he made that statement uh, there in front of an audience of oil company executives in 1928. Can you say brown-nosing? <laughs> Something like that. Old Bruce there says, uh, why, it's a downright miracle, that gasoline fluid. Yeah. It's miraculous how it made a lot of those executives billionaires. Yeah. You know, do, do you think they might want to take a small portion of those egregious profits and maybe help out the working folks a bit? Nah. nah, nah. Well, friends, uh, before we stuff ourselves down the world funnel, I wanted to do a uh, shout-out to a colleague of ours, who has uh, crossed a bit of a milestone, and it deserves to be tooted about. 
way back in 2005, when uh, I first explored the brave and somewhat new world known as podcasting, we had a program called Area 51, and it was a delightful experience for its short-lived term. You say that now. (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) True. Uh, But along the circuitous and uh, sometimes slippery podcast highway, I discovered this chap named Frank Edward Nora, who uh, resided in the lovely state of New Jersey and was producing a program he called The Overnightscape, which was a uh, monologue-based show that um, he has said numerous times was actually inspired uh, by the style of program that uh, Gene Shepard used to do on WOR in New York for many, 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 many years. Now, some will uh, know Gene Shepard as the author of A Christmas Story. It's a uh, perennial film favorite. Well, as uh, time went on, Our buddy Frank there saw that uh, he was slowly attracting kind of a network of other people's shows on his RSS feed, which he was gracious to accommodate and uh, before long uh, was home to nearly a dozen other producers and hosts, and uh, including us, friends, because I approached Frank uh, in late 2014 with an idea of uh, doing a show myself and was wondering if uh, he could find a space for this lonely and somewhat disturbed show. Curiously, he said, Sure. (laughs) Uh, The rest is history, as we are now approaching our 10th year of uh, this program. So Frank carefully and lovingly curates all these programs uh, of the various uh, producers and hosts including his own, and uh, has done so for years. Uh, He maintains a presence on archive.org for this purpose. And uh, as I say, Frank has crossed a significant milestone in that uh, just last week, he celebrated 20 years of producing the Overnightscape. And that is an achievement worth mentioning. Yes, indeedy, deedy, do. Yeah, no fright. Wow. And uh, you can find all his shows and uh, a bunch of others as well at uh, onsug.com. That's O-N-S-U-G dot com. Yes, and so congrats again to Frank for uh, reaching two decades with the Overnightscape and for really all you do over there. It's no small effort curating all that stuff, and we all very much appreciate it and you. Well, doesn't he have something like uh, nine million hours of audio or some? Uh... <laughs> well, not sure if it's quite that high a number, but uh, certainly approaching it. And uh, he has a couple of books out as well that uh, neatly catalog all the shows on the network there and and a, a link to that is also in the show notes uh, for you to check out. Yeah, that's quite a legacy, man. Yeah. I mean, when you when you look at the uh, longevity in this uh, podcasting world, particularly in the early days, I mean, most shows ran a year or two, and then they just faded out, uh, never to be heard from again. Well, 
You know, the stats these days show that most shows that are produced, uh, despite the large numbers of them out there, well, most aren't regularly produced. Like, there might be one, and then uh, seven months later, there'll be another one. And, and uh, as we know, Mr. Keynes, it's all about consistency in this domain, it would appear. You know, showing up. And showing up regularly. Yeah, it is work, though. Yes. Yes, it is. And uh, that can be a reason why many uh, abandon the idea. Or, you know, maybe there are just too many other plates that a person has to spin to uh, keep a show going consistently. Well, it helps if, like us, you have no lives. <laughs> big, big help. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we come back, friends, a mysterious floating seaweed blob... A tragic journal, visually recording your memories in Osaka, and a twisted epiphany from our very own social media maven, Regina Carroll. So, stay with us, can't we? Now we will leave the air. TheFuseBoxShow.com Tragic Journals. Day 37. The giant clown was back. He brought some items for show and tell. I'm told I'll be walking again soon. <laughs> Welcome back, friends. You know, on our uh, last program, we took a eh, decidedly scientific slant on the show, and uh, as we were preparing this episode, I found a most curious news item. This is an article by Pandora Dewan for uh, Newsweek and reports on some fascinating, albeit potentially frightening, research being conducted by 22 researchers at Osaka University in Japan. Wait, they found a way to combat the giant manis aliens? <laughs> no, but you know what? If anyone could, yeah. So these uh, 22 researchers at uh, Osaka University in Japan have found that AI can be trained to reconstruct high-resolution images from human brain activity. Now, these images are gathered from MRI scans. And let me tell you something. Th these images bear more than a striking resemblance to the uh, source image being shown to the participants in this test. What? Wait, you mean the AI is creating a picture based on the scans of these folks' brains? That's correct, sir. Wow. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the uh, researchers used one of uh, many AI engines available right now. Their, uh, their choice was the uh, deep learning model called Stable Diffusion to uh, translate the images in people's heads into AI reconstructions. Now, they're using data they acquired, as we said, from uh, test subjects' fMRI, which um, 
as uh, Joseph Early, a doctoral student uh, in AI at the Alan Turing Institute, who uh, says, and he, he wasn't involved in the study, but he says, the study uses functional magnetic resonance imaging, or fMRI, to map brain activity, looking at tiny changes in blood flow that uh, indicate when certain parts of the brain are working. So by showing people pictures while they're undergoing fMRI scans, the parts of the brain that, quote, light up in response to different images can be identified. These different responses, then, are mapped to a format that is familiar to the existing generative image models that are out there like crazy right now and can be used to generate new images. So they had to show them a bunch of images, yeah? Exactly, yeah, yeah. So, so to uh, train the AI, each participant was shown 10,000 images while inside an fMRI scanner. And uh, this was repeated three times. And the resulting MRI data was then fed to a computer so that it could learn how each participant's brain processed uh, the individual images. Now, what's kind of interesting is that the uh, AI was better at, quote, (laughs) reading some people's brain activity than others. And uh, in the pictures accompanying this particular article, it's really clear that um, although the the, the general shape might be there in the various reads, uh, there are examples of extremely close approximations. Kind of scary, really. And what's also scary... And at the same time, remarkable is that uh, this technique could uh, theoretically be used to assemble images straight from a person's imagination. Holy carp. Yeah, yeah. So you know where this is headed, right? This could also lead to recording dreams or even like the Douglas Trumbull film Brainstorm. Record the death experience. Okay, now we're getting into a weird area here. Getting? (laughs) (laughs) Laura Herman, a doctoral student at the University of Oxford's Internet Institute, says, What is unique about this tool is that it does not require physical manipulation of a device. Therefore, there are exciting possibilities for creatives with physical disabilities who have historically been excluded from using creative tools that may require certain motor abilities. And uh, she goes on to say, as we're seeing here, this data can be used to literally reconstruct internal private thoughts. In the hands of the wrong actors, this data would enable an unprecedented level of surveillance by monitoring the very thoughts in one's brain. Though the technological outputs may be enticing, It's difficult to imagine that they would be worth sharing your intimate fMRI data. You think? (laughs) Man, this could really get Well, look, and and before we all go screaming into the street, here's here's a, well, at least for now, (laughs) a present-day reality check. Uh, AI doctoral student uh, Joseph Early again here said that deploying such a technology outside of the lab environment would be uh, very difficult. So the threat of uh, AI-controlled mind readers, uh, no, it's not imminent. For now. Well, uh, we're told there again by uh, Mr. Early that the fMRI scans are needed 
to measure the brain activity that is used to generate the images. And the machines that uh, perform these scans, well, they cost well over a million dollars. He goes on to say that uh, in its current state, the method needs to learn to map an individual's brain activity. Everyone will have a different response when shown the same image. So the method needs to be personalized to each user. Yeah. Well, you know, that still doesn't do much to get rid of that creeping feeling that right now, out there, someone may be working on something that's faster, cheaper, and even more out of control. Well, it's just another example of terror and wonder in our present day, friends. Because the news no longer matters. Well, as a little uh, palate cleanser, mm -hmm, let's enjoy a wondrously chaotic morning with uh, Regina Carroll's piece called Morning Ramen. Morning is broken. A gray ombre ceiling puts a cap on a day already begun while my morning ramen stews itself to death. The smell of sustenance is happiness, as is the sound of rain feeding the earth. And she blows. She fumes. The gray top on this box blows its cover and spews. Dust, fettuccine and wine, coffee grinds, scriptures, tattoos, tickets, scraps of friendship, pieces of lovers, shards of laughter, and old light, all shot into space. You know, heaven looks more like a debris field, to be honest. A gated community of dumps. Now, in the distance, I hear an old jalopy. Oh, man. The old jalopy received wings instead of spare parts. You know, heaven sounds like a Model T Ford, made up of thunder, spittoons, and gongs. This day is really taking a turn. think I'll look at my cup of noodles the same way ever again. Just when you thought it was safe to boil water. Yeah. A delightful piece there, written and read by our very own social media maven, Regina Carroll. Yeah, now I'm hungry. <laughs> well then, Mr. Gaines, I have the perfect solution for you. I hope you're really hungry, though. Because it's 5,000 miles long, and as it happens, it threatens one of our favorite places here on the show. Yes, it's... Yes, friends. A gargantuan mass of seaweed that formed in the Atlantic Ocean, uh, kind of off the coast of Africa, actually, is headed for the shores of Florida and uh, other coastlines throughout the Gulf of Mexico, threatening to dump smelly with a side of stinky and potentially 
dangerous heaps across beaches and put a big damper on the tourist season. Gonna just miss that spring break, huh? Uh, well, perhaps not everywhere. Uh, probably the uh, summer before it gets to uh, places like Miami. Oh, then there's hope then. <laughs> uh, the seaweed, a variety uh, evidently called sargassum, has been around a long, long time and has formed large blooms in the Atlantic. And uh, scientists have been uh, tracking massive accumulations of this stuff since uh, evidently uh, 2011. But this year's uh, sargassum mass could be the largest on record, big surprise, spanning more than 5,000 miles from the coast of Africa to the Gulf of Mexico. Holy carp. Yeah. Blob is uh, currently pushing west and will pass through the uh, Caribbean and up into the Gulf of Mexico during the summer, with the seaweed expected to become uh, prevalent on beaches in Florida around July. Uh, That, of course, according to Dr. Brian LaPointe, a uh, researcher at Florida Atlantic University's Harbor Branch Oceanographic Institute, LaPointe said that uh, this year's sargassum bloom began to form early and uh, doubled in size between December and January. The mass, quote, was larger in January than it has ever been since this new region of sargassum growth began in 2011. He also says uh, that this is an entirely new oceanographic phenomenon that is uh, creating such a problem, really a catastrophic problem, for tourism in the Caribbean region where it piles up on beaches up to five or six feet high. He noted that uh, in Barbados, locals are using 1,600 dump trucks a day to clean the beaches of this seaweed to make it suitable for tourists and uh, recreation on the beaches. Uh, any chance it could get to Mar-a-Lago? Oh, highly likely, sir. And I mean, like, in... Mar-a-Lago, you know, crash the gates, ooze through the buildings, kind of like that giant blob in, uh, what's that movie, uh, uh... The Blob? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can only hope and dream, Mr. Keynes. Why, I think, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I can hear the dulcet tones of the marauding seaweed blob overtaking the docks and squeezing and stinking its way through the resort. So what is the seaweed horror, you ask? As we mentioned, it's called sargassum. And uh, that's kind of a catch-all name for uh, a bunch of algae that uh, belongs to this species. It's about 300 different species uh, of brown algae. There, there is an actual benefit, though, to the algae when it's uh, drifting in the sea. According to the uh, Sargassum Information Hub website, <laughs> yes, that's an actual thing. <laughs> This, uh, this floating habitat provides food and protection for fishes, mammals, marine birds, crabs, and more. 
It、uh, serves as a critical habitat for threatened loggerhead sea turtles and、uh, as a nursery area for a variety of commercially important fishes, such as mahi mahi, jacks, and、uh, amberjacks. Oh, so it's actually a good thing. Well, yeah, as long as it keeps floating out there. It's when it comes ashore to the beaches. You know, the stuff stacks up in huge mounds and makes it difficult to navigate. Yes, and but also, it can start emitting a gas that can smell like rotten eggs. It's toxic too. It can cause serious respiratory problems in humans. And to make things a little worse, even the seaweed itself contains arsenic in its flesh, making it dangerous if ingested or、uh, maybe used for fertilizer. What sort of maroon would eat that stuff? Well, y- you might not be aware, but、uh, many Asian dishes feature a form of kelp. Not this form of kelp, of course. Seaweed. Yes, sir. Yeah, no. Now, hey, man, don't knock it till you try it, Mr. Keynes. I'm I'm quite fond of it myself. More for you. Well, the other thing is that it can、uh, basically suck the oxygen out of the water. And、uh, create what they call dead zones, which are typically in nursery habitats for fisheries, which of course would then destroy the habitat. What the hell do we do about this crap? I mean, it must be getting worse because of climate conditions. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, atmospheric conditions have been changing, and so have the cycles of everything else. For now, researchers are looking into ways to、uh, fight its impact on beaches and possibly by sinking. The seaweed to the bottom of the ocean, or、uh, even harvesting it for use in commercial products such as soap. Soap, arsenic soap. Well, clearly there would be some processing involved. <laughs> or did they? And on that slimy and wretched note, we'll pack up our giant mutated sushi platter. And head back down the dryer vent, but not before thanking our contributors to this edition of the show, Regina Carroll for astonishing tales of ramen chaos, and Gregory Wilson for spectacularly glorious ID pronunciations. Thanks, as always, to the professor of peak limiting, Milt Keynes, for technical assistance and so on and so forth over there. A pleasure as always, and hey,、uh, folks. Just a reminder that if you haven't as yet subscribed to this here show, please go right ahead and do that wherever you may have found it. It really helps us not feel、uh, lonely and abandoned and all that crap. <laughs> yes, that's true, Mr. Keynes. And friends, as you may not know, you can also do that right there on the Fusebox homepage at thefuseboxshow.com. Right there on the landing page, there's a little buttony thingy. Yeah. You can really help us big time by joining us on our Patreon page and、uh, get all sorts of perks like free swag, early access to shows, and, hell, even a chance to be on this dang show. And、uh, oh, and extra stuff too that they、uh, don't allow us to do or talk about here. Find that at patreon.com forward slash the Fusebox Show. We so greatly. Appreciate that, we really do. I have been your sealed in plastic for your safety, host Mark Rose, saying, until our next cartoon. <laughs>